Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. Thank you for tuning in. This is Benjamin here. Our guest today is recognized as a consultant by the Fellowship of the Royal College of Physicians of London. He has practiced pediatrics for and as an allergist for 30 years, in fact. Since 2015, he has written four books and have been published and can be found on Amazon. He holds a certification from the American Pediatrics and from the Board of Allergy and Immunology, not to mention from the Canadian Board of Pediatrics. In addition, he has written many articles on health, a very prolific writer, and has been published in many medical journals. Allow me to present to you a true gentleman, Dr. John M. Butello. Hello there, doctor. Thank you for joining our show. I, I appreciate your spending time with us here today, and uh, I'm really excited to to uh, listen to you and learn from you because uh, I know you have uh, uh, written some uh, some really good thoughts about uh, diabetes type two in particular. But uh, before we get started, tell us a, a little bit about yourself, uh, doctor. Well, I was born in India. I did my medical training there. I went to Scotland to do one year of internship. I came to the United States in 1970, did two years of a residency in pediatrics. Then I did two years of fellowship in allergy and immunology. I practiced in the state of Texas over 30 years. I retired about 12 years ago and moved to Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. That gave me time to start thinking and writing my books. I have completed and published four books. All of them are available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. The first one was about the regulation of nutrient intake or food intake in general. Mm -hmm. For example, what is the signal that makes you feel hungry? or the mm -hmm. physiological mechanism. Yes. What is the mechanism that makes you feel satisfied? Because you don't always eat the same volume of food and you cannot predetermine when you are going to be hungry the next time. So mm -hmm. that, without knowing that, how can you prevent obesity or all the complications associated with it? So the first book was called Eat, Chew, Live. Mm -hmm. Let me make a point about the middle uh, word, chew, as a title. If you think about it, in nature, where adult humans can get nutrients from, are there any food nature provides you that you can get nutrients from without chewing? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But in modern age, you, we are in so much hurry. We don't have mm -hmm. time to sit down and chew food. So that is food, uh, book number one. Uh, so what, what you're saying is uh, chewing is, 
is a part of the process of digesting. Uh, Not digestion. It no? is even more fundamental than that. Oh, okay. Uh, when you, for example, if you, uh, can I elaborate on that? Or please, please. No, no, please do. Okay. Let, when you are thirsty, can you predetermine how much water will it take to quench your thirst? Yeah, yeah, you got a point there. No, you can't. You, can't. you can't. And most of the time you take a few sips, maybe a minute or two to take the water and your thirst is quenched, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You don't drink until your stomach is full, right? Correct. When the, by the time you feel satisfied, your thirst is quenched, the water is still in your stomach. It has not been absorbed into the body yet. Mm. How did the brain know you had enough water to quench your thirst at that time? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that means as you were drinking, mm -hmm. your sensors in your mouth were recording how much water is going down yes. and reporting that to the brain. Your brain already knows the exact water deficit. And when the intake matches the deficit, it produces the sensation of satisfaction. This is why the quantity of water that takes to satisfy your thirst varies from time to time, depending on how dehydrated you are. Mm. What I'm suggesting is there is a similar mechanism for each and every nutrient that your body needs. When you sit down to eat, you have no idea what the body is looking for. Do you? No, no, you don't. You do no. Not. So how can the body, how can your brain know how much food you need to take? The mm. brain, the body has receptors, taste receptors and smell receptors. Yes. Their job is not only informing the brain what is going down, but they are also metering how much is going down, just like the water. Yes. In order for that to do that, the receptors, the nutrients have to come in contact with the receptors. Mm. Chewing adjusts the rate of release of those nutrients so the receptors can sample it, sample them and report to the brain. Just to give you an example, when you are thirsty next time, pour the water straight down the throat. Don't <laughs> sip it. Okay. And you won't feel satisfaction until you sip the water. Mm. So yes, the same way, when you eat too fast, when you're eating something that does not require chewing, when you are drinking your nutrients by blending and pureeing, mm. you are sidestepping the monitors and the receptors and you end up eating more than you should because you rely on your backup mechanism, which is fullness of the stomach. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Well, that okay. makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, Thank you. And, yeah. uh, and when you do that, well, that kind of paves the way for discussing, discussing uh, diabetes, the real cause and the right cure, eight uh, steps to reverse type two diabetes in eight weeks. So that's a, that's a good introduction there. And uh, there's eight steps apparently in your in your writings here. So would you be so kind and to 
to uh, speak to the first one, and that is to change your focus? Well, th that's exactly what we are talking about. Yes. See, mm -hmm. right now, let's talk about diabetes a little bit. Okay. Uh, diabetes is diagnosed when your blood sugar is elevated. There are two types of diabetes, type 1 mm -hmm. and type 2. Type 1 occurs mostly in children. Yes. And type 2, it used to be called adult onset, but now it is called type 2. Mm -hmm. The difference okay. between the two is the present absence or presence of insulin. Now, in children the, with type 1 diabetes, their pancreas don't produce insulin. Mm -hmm. In adults, insulin is present, but still the blood sugar is high. Mm -hmm. Now, to understand the importance of that, you need to know how insulin works. It is a hormone that everybody has from the pancreas, unless you have something wrong with the pancreas, which is what happens in children with type 1 diabetes. Their mm -hmm. pancreas does not produce insulin. But let's okay. talk about insulin. All right. Uh, thinking about your apartment or your house, when the doorbell rings, you know there is somebody outside. Correct. You have the option to open the door, see who it is, let them in or not. Now, every cell in the body, we have 30 plus trillion cells in the body, each cell is an independent living unit. On the wall of the cell are receptors. Every cell can use glucose to produce energy. However, there are no doorbells that glucose can ring when it is outside the cell to let the cell know. That is the job of insulin. Hmm. Insulin rings the bell that even then there is no automatic entry for glucose molecules. Yes. The, just like you have to go and open the door, the cell has to send in a transport module, a glucose transporter wagon to the door, load up glucose molecules and bring them in. Mm -hmm. So that's the only way the cell can get glucose in. So if there is no insulin, as in type 1 diabetes, you can see the blood glucose level will go up. Still, the cells are starving. Mm -hmm. And these children used to die before age 10 until insulin was discovered and administered to them. I see. So would you that, say that's an, uh, it's an autoimmune disease? Exactly. Okay. The damage to the insulin-producing cells, the islet cells in the pancreas, yes. is an autoimmune disease. Our own immune system mm -hmm. destroys those cells. Mm -hmm. we, the people are still trying to find out why it happens, but that's a different story. Yes. Now, when adults started coming up, with high blood sugar, all the doctors thought, oh, this is the same disease as in children, but happening at an older age group. So they call it adult onset diabetes and send them to the endocrinologist 
who are in charge of all hormonal disease based diseases and sure enough they thought this high blood sugar insulin worked in children so why don't we give the adults insulin mm-hmm. they injected these people with insulin and their blood sugar went down and they said oh this is easy it's the same thing later this is this happened exactly 100 years ago okay the insulin was discovered in uh, 18 you know 20, uh, 1920 mm-hmm. so it about but by 1940 they there was a test a test became available to measure the level of insulin in the blood and somebody was curious to see how much insulin an adult with high blood sugar has and to their surprise they found that at the time of diagnosis they have normal or even higher than normal levels of insulin in the blood mm. so that created a problem how can they have high blood sugar at the same time having enough insulin in the blood so they looked at the molecule is there is something structurally different they found none is it functionally okay they took the insulin from a diabetic injected into a non diabetic and it worked just fine mm-hmm. so there was nothing wrong with the structure or function so at that time and the cardiologist could have said this man ought be a hormonal disease mm. but they don't they didn't want to let them let these patients go for you can understand the reasoning sure so one doctor in vienna william falter suggested in 1940 that it could be a problem of the receptors on the cell the cell there is something wrong with the cell wall and the receptor is not working they produces non sensitivity of the cell and or which later on was termed as insulin resistance the cell is resisting insulin <laughs> Mm-hmm. you've heard of the term insulin resistance right yes yes yeah. so that is how the whole concept came about mm. the problem is at that time you know in any science before you produce a concept or before a hypothesis is accepted as fact mm-hmm. it has to be validated oh yes and the validation process has a, is a three step process the first is logic does it make sense for example the diabetologist and the endocrinologist suggested only three types of cells muscle liver and fat cells become resistant to insulin mm. see there are three 200 different types of cell in the body so why did these people select just three cells mm-hmm. you ask any endocrinologist they have no answer the and why did these cells decide to resist insulin mm-hmm. of all the hormones in the body there are four hormones intimately associated with minute by minute control of blood sugar okay and and these cells pick picked insulin why nobody knows there's no answer the second is the mechanism 
how does it, how is the non-response or resistance work? Is it because the doorbell is not functional or mm -hmm. is it the message, the signal is not going to the gene in charge of cell activity or is the gene itself is dysfunctional or is the wagon at fault? And more importantly, is the defect in the mechanism the same as all these three sides? Nobody knows. Nobody has explained a defective mm. mechanism in any one of these three sites. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Now, the third validation process is through measurement. In, in any scientific hypothesis, before accepted, you have to have a way of measuring something so others can measure it and find a similar pattern. There is no test to measure the degree of insulin resistance in any person. Mm. Whether you have newly diagnosed or had had diabetes for type two diabetes for 20 years or you're developing complications, mm -hmm. it, you have no idea is, the, is it because your resistance is getting worse? Let's say you, are, you take insulin, your blood sugar goes down. Does that mean you have reduced the intensity of insulin resistance. How do you know without a test? Mm. Is that, where is that sugar going? Your blood sugar goes down in response to an insulin injection mm -hmm. or to a medication that causes release of insulin in the body. Where does that sugar go? Does it go into a cell which was supposedly resistant? How do we know? It's a good question, yes. By the way, that sugar does not go out of your body. No. Uh, no. Uh, mm -hmm. So how, how could, this is why even if you keep your A1C level below seven using insulin, you can still have exactly the same complications as in others. Can I share this, the experience of my friend with you? Mm -hmm. Can I say something? Sure. Sure, go ahead. He, he was a PhD in chemistry. All right. He had type 2 diabetes for 20 years. Mm. And he was allowed to adjust his insulin dose because he was a PhD. And by the time I met him, he was taking 120 units total of long-acting mm. and short-acting short insulin every mm. day. Bye. And that did not stop him from having to have amputation of three of his toes. Oh boy, yeah. He had cancer, not one, but two different types of cancer. And he passed away year before last. Mm. This is a highly educated person who believed in insulin. He never let the A1C go above seven. But that did not prevent anything. Yeah. And my relatives had both legs amputated in spite of keeping A1C below seven. Mm. And there are others you may come across having kidney problems, eye problems, yes. heart problems, oh. Oh, Alzheimer's. Yeah. So if insulin uh, uh, injections are not controlling the complications, what are we doing with it? That was my 
reason for writing the book, Diabetes, the Real Cause and the Right Cure. I'm sorry, it's a lengthy introduction. No, no, it's a, it is a revolutionary idea, you know, what you're saying there based on, on science and so forth, so. We're having an enjoyable visit with Dr. John Patillo, and he is explaining the causes of type 2 diabetes and how you and I can cure it or prevent it. So, uh, of course, you, 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 so let me ask you this, uh, Dr. Diabetes, type, type 2 diabetes. So am I to conclude that's a, a metabolic condition? Exactly. Okay. It, it is not a hormonal disease, in my opinion. It's a lifestyle condition. I see. Okay. Well, uh, because of what we eat and how it is processed. Keep in mm. mind, what we are measuring is high blood glucose. It is called sugar. And that term itself is confusing for because the first thing any person diagnosed with type 2 diabetes do is stop eating table sugar. Mm-hmm. So thinking that that is what is causing blood sugar. But blood sugar is glucose. Table sugar is sucrose. Mm. It is two different molecules. And one does not contribute to the other. Or in other words, sucrose is not the reason you have type 2 diabetes. Otherwise, it is simple. All you have to do is stop eating table sugar and your diabetes should go away. Yes. Yeah. That does not happen. No. So, now you may be curious or you may want to know what is the lifestyle that causes or leads to high blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Right? Correct. Okay. So, let me go through my hypothesis. All right. What I am suggesting is it's a lifestyle condition and the culprit is our modern diet of grains and grain Mm -hmm. flour products. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, when is the last time you had a meal or a snack without a grain flour product? That is uh, very common on the kitchen table. What happens when these uh, foods are digested? They release an enormous amount of glucose into the bloodstream. Mm The liver can keep 120 grams in the liver. The pancreas will release insulin. Insulin, as we discussed earlier, will go with glucose molecules and inform each and every cell in the body. Glucose is now available. The cells will pick up what they need. The leftover glucose will come back to the liver. The liver has to process it for storage. Again, the liver can keep only 120 grams. That is for backup because our brain needs glucose, continuous supply. So when the blood glucose level goes down, the liver will release some more glucose into the blood to prop up the blood sugar. And that's for energy, correct? That's too. That is primarily the muscles use glucose for energy. Okay. But keep in mind, the, I'll come to the muscles in a minute because muscles are like a hybrid car. Mm. <laughs> so let, let me follow okay, the... Yes, please. For follow the glucose. 
if there are excess glucose molecules in coming to the liver the liver has to process it for long term storage and the liver converts these glucose molecules into fatty acids these fatty acids will be turned into fat and stored in your fat cells we all inherit a certain amount of fat cells from our parents mm-hmm. imagine that your fat cells are full you have gained some weight you know that's by the way that's how you gain weight as an adult most of your weight gain comes from storage of fat unless you are doing some resistance exercise mm-hmm. so yes, suppose your fat cells are full yes then what happens is the fat which is also called triglyceride mm-hmm. stays in the blood when the fat level or the triglyceride level goes up in the blood the liver senses there's no point in converting the fat cell uh, fatty acids into fat because that fat can clog up your arteries mm-hmm. so the liver leaves fatty acids as they are in into the in the blood and as i mentioned our muscles are like a hybrid car a hybrid car can use either gasoline or electricity to produce power yes muscles can use either glucose or fatty acid think about it you have not eaten all day long you can still run play jump dance exercise athletes sometimes they play marathon runners run for hours where right. do they get the energy from that's, that's true yeah it is the fatty acid in mm-hmm. fact majority of our energy generation in between meals come from fatty acids that's a natural phenomenon mm-hmm. so if your fatty acid level in the blood is very high muscles are programmed to switch to fatty acid because fatty acid can enter the muscle without the need for a, a calling bell why because the muscle cell wall is made of fat and cholesterol so fatty acids can wiggle in through the cell wall it can go to the power generation facility called the mitochondria and muscles have enough fuel in the form of fatty acid so if insulin comes and rings the doorbell should the muscle care mm. they have enough fuel they are producing in a penalty think about this most of the people who are at the time of diagnosis of type 2 diabetes they have no problem with energy production they have no problem with their muscles working so if glucose is not used for energy and the muscles are resistant to insulin mm-hmm. shouldn't they feel some weakness but they don't that means those muscles are getting enough fuel from fatty acids producing enough energy so simply they don't need glucose that is why they are ignoring the doorbell when it is rung by insulin not because they are resistant to insulin mm-hmm. think about this for example you have just had a meal you are satisfied somebody brings you more food will you eat it 
That's a good question. That's a good question. Depends on the cook, doctor, I guess. Well, <laughs> even then, you won't you may not eat as much or enjoy it. And can yes, we that, say that's that's are, true. Yeah. Can we say you are resisting feeding? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Uh, so, so this is what I am thinking. It does not make sense to me. So, but this is why I'm proposing that our modern day diet yeah. of grains and grain flour products <clears throat> is what is fueling the diabetes crisis, not only in the United States, but, but all around the world. Mm -hmm. Because every government is subsidizing grain farming, either direct subsidy or farm subsidy, or mm -hmm. uh, uh, fertilizer subsidy, or transportation, processing, distribution, yes. and community food programs, everything is based on grains. Yes. Now, can I give you some evidence to back up my claim? Please, please do. The, the mechanism I said, it is fatty acid burning. Let me give you two supporting a piece, two pieces of supporting evidence. All right. One is in people who have HIV infection, mm -hmm. they are treated with a medication called antiretroviral treatment. This medication has a side effect. It inhibits the maturation of fat cells. That means suddenly your fat storage capacity is reduced. And there is a higher incidence of elevated blood glucose level and type 2 diabetes in people who are treated with this antiretroviral agents, even when they are young. So that means this medication reduces reduce your fat storage capacity, more fatty acids stay in the blood, muscles switch to fatty acid burning, leaving glucose in the blood, and you become a diabetic. Mm. There is a, the second piece of evidence is, in people who have type 2 diabetes, some doctors use a medication called thiazolidine dione. Mm -hmm. What this medication does is, exactly the opposite of antiretroviral agent. This medication accelerates the maturation of fat cell. So suddenly you have more room to store the fat. So fatty acid level goes down in the blood and their blood sugar, muscles switch to fat, glucose burning and their blood sugar level goes down. So that support, those two pieces of evidence support my mechanism. Mm -hmm. Now, is there any clinical evidence? Let me again give you two examples of clinical evidence. The first one is based on Native Americans, their experience. In 1912, mm -hmm. the CDC found, uh, I mean, that 1912, the incidence of type 2 diabetes no, not 19, I'm sorry, 2012, eight years ago, the CDC mm -hmm. reported the incidence of type 2 diabetes mm -hmm. in Native Americans was 16%, whereas in the white Americans, it was 8%. That is similar to what is going on right now. 
Okay. The majority of adult Americans above age 35 in Pima Indians, the majority are type 2 diabetic. Hmm. Now, if you look at the medical records from 1932, or 1983 to 1939, almost 100 years ago or 80 years ago, mm -hmm. and you will hardly find any Native Americans with type 2 diabetes. Mm. Practically none. Why? What's the difference? Now think about it. In their ancestral way of living, the Native Americans moved from one food source to another. Right? Correct. They could not stay in one place. That means they did not eat any cultivated grains. Mm -hmm but they ate everything else. Fruits, nuts, vegetables, animals, animal products, fish, uh, you name it, they ate it. Mm -hmm. The only thing they did not eat was grains and grain flour products. Mm. And when they were moved to the reservations, what was their main source of food energy? Mm. Starting with fry bread, Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So that is what is fueling the type two diabetes epidemic in so yeah. Native Americans. So it's the diet, obviously. Yes. Then, the diet. Exactly. Now, let me give you the second piece of evidence. Yes. In 1984, a researcher in Australia asked ten Aborigines with type two diabetes on medications. Can they go back to the bush and live like their ancestors? Mm -hmm. And they did. And within eight weeks, that is, by the way, the title of my book came. Within eight weeks, they lost weight, their blood sugar came down, and they were able to stop their diabetic medications. Mm. So what's the difference? The difference is, as... Yeah happened with the Native Americans. They didn't yeah. stay in one place. They moved continuously during eight weeks, looking for food and finding wherever they can. They did not eat any cultivated grains. Yeah. And their carbohydrate composition of the diet was from 5% to 33% when they were living in the bush compared to 50% in the urban setting. Yeah. Wow. If, you, if you look at the diet <clears throat> of common people right now, in the developed countries, 50% of the energy intake every day comes from grain-based foods. Oh, yes, definitely. In the developing countries, it is 70%. Mm. In the poor areas of developed countries among the people with a low income, mm -hmm. their intake is almost 70%, uh, the energy intake from grains. Why? Because they are the cheapest foods, the most processed foods, and easily available, and you can eat it, eat them in a hurry. You don't have to chew them. So you, when you stop chewing any food, you swallow. Correct. And 
Let me ask you this. If you boil some rice, and you, can you eat it by itself? But no, no, you got to add uh, some what? other things onto it. Salt. Why? Well, it's, it's taste. taste. Exactly. Yeah. So when you add rice to something that you enjoy, aren't you diluting the enjoyment of the other food? That's true. That's correct. What I'm talking about is enjoy your meal, but don't add the carrier, which is the grain-based products. That is what is giving you trouble, not, mm. the, not what you enjoy. Now, mm -hmm. think about it. Why did nature not give us the faculty to enjoy rice or grain? The same goes for pasta or noodles or even bread by itself, unless you have salt. Yes. Why? Because there's nothing there that the body can need, or that is why there is no enjoyment. The mm. human body needs 100 different nutrients. <clears throat> And you cannot get all of them from one food group or one meal. That's why you have to have multiple meals. That's why you get hungry more often than once a day. Mm. So you need to have a variety. And grains were never meant for humans. Otherwise, we would have had beaks to pick them up. We would have had the ability to digest the chaff. We don't. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that uh, makes a lot of sense. In fact, on number step three, uh, you indicate here, you speak to, um, to start with the mix of greens is what you talk to here. Uh, and that's what you were talking about, the native and those that uh, <clears throat> in Australia, they went out to the bush and, they, and that's what they survived on, on greens is what you're saying. Everything else you can eat. And yes. if you chew and eat, your brain will tell you when you are satisfied, what you have to look for is satisfaction, not yes. fullness. Mm -hmm. If you get up from your food table and say, oh, my stomach is so full, well, that means you have eaten too much. Mm. If you feel, yes, that was an enjoyable meal, think about the enjoyment of eating. When you are hungry, if you, when you take that first bite of food that tastes so good, after a few minutes, the intensity of enjoyment goes down. What if mm. you stop eating at that time? Look at, if you have toddlers in the house, yes. look at them. You will observe three things. One, they don't eat unless they are hungry. Two, they pick and choose what they want to eat. Three. <laughs> yes, true. Three, when they are done, they could yeah. care less how much is left on the plate. They would rather go out and play. You cannot make them open their mouth to take one more bite. It's a good example. Yes. But what we what do we do? We oh, have. Oh yeah. <laughs> anybody offers some food, <clears throat> we have to please the host. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you feel guilty. Yeah. When I when I was growing, you know, I was counseling ten. American adults, overweight adults one time. And I told them, I grew up in India. Some days I didn't feel hungry. I didn't eat. Now I know why. So they mm. asked why. Because you were all eating for me. Mm. They, they were told their parents, remember there are starving children in India and Africa. Oh, and yeah. oh yeah. Make you feel guilty. Yes. Right. So 
that we all have, looking at the toddler's experience, we all have the natural ability and the faculty to control our intake. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when that changes, mm. at, do you know when? I'm not sure. Go at ahead. age six. Six, okay. You know why? Why is that? They start listening to their parents. <laughs> okay. Well, what do we okay. tell them? Oh, we have, we don't have time to stop on the way. We are on, we are going someplace. Mm -hmm. If you eat this, I'll give you the dessert. If you finish it. <laughs> oh, the bribe you. I know. Don't waste food. <laughs> there are starving children elsewhere. Oh, yeah. So gradually, and then they go to school. They are in a sports program. They don't have time. They have to bulk up. They have, they need energy. Then you get to a, a, a you know, whether it is real estate or mortgage or whatever, you don't have time when you are in a meeting, you sure. are provided with enough food, more than what you need, but you have to eat. Mm. You are disconnecting the natural control mechanisms. Mm. Human brain cannot concentrate on two things at the same time. So if you, ha you are having a business meeting, think about all the business meetings you have had, Mr. Daesh. You, you are eating, but you're listening. And if you are listening, you don't, by the time half the food is gone before you realize how much you have eaten. That's true. So it's behavioral. Uh, exactly. Yeah, you yeah, condition yeah. yourself yeah. to certain types of behavior as you are getting older. Yes. I you disconnect that. your natural control mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And this is the price we pay. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Very interesting. <clears throat> you know, you, you've been touching a lot of the points here as we went along here with the eight steps. And uh, you talked about uh, flavoring your food. And you do address that on uh, step number six about uh, get creative with the use of herbs. And, yes. Uh, and, well, and my that, point that, is this. Yes. If you eat sawdust, can you enjoy it? <laughs> I'm afraid not. Yes. No. So why did there are certain things in nature that we can enjoy? Why? Because our brain finds some useful nutrient in that food. Mm. Human beings need 100 different nutrients, as I mentioned earlier. But these are packaged differently in different parts of the world. So you can go to any part of the world still survive because the locally available food, fruits, vegetables, nuts, they may be shaped differently, color may be different, taste may mm -hmm. be different, mm -hmm. but they all contain the same nutrient. So if that nutrient the body needs is available at that time, the brain will give you, reward you with the, enjoy, the sensation of enjoyment. And the brain will reduce the intensity of the enjoyment when you have had enough, if you record it through the receptors in the mouth. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. May I? Sure, please. Yes. Suppose we went to lunch today for a Chinese buffet, 100 items. How many <laughs> would we choose? Oh, very few compared to a hundred, uh, you know. Uh, how, how many would you choose? Just oh. give me a number. Oh, me, I, I don't know, probably maybe four, four or five, four, maybe. Yeah. Five. Based on what? Uh, taste. 
taste that you have enjoyed them before correct so you put them in the plate and you sit down and we sit down we enjoy it yes okay mm-hmm. suppose we go back to the same buffet this evening will you take exactly the same five in the evening <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably not probably Why not, not. They've been sitting mm. there for a while, you know, and so forth. <laughs> no, no, no. They they made fresh, but exactly the same okay. food. Okay. Well, well you take because that? I already had that, and he, I guess you know a fellow needs variety. Uh, me, myself, why? You know, what, why do I you do. get that feeling? That means you may not. If you eat the same thing again, even though you enjoyed them very well yes. for lunch, you won't enjoy them for evening. Yeah. Why? Yeah, because yeah, it's it's overdone. I guess you know it's over as far as the taste. Uh, just wouldn't have the uh, the, uh, the the yearning to, to right. eat that again. You won't, you won't enjoy them as much, no, right? No, no, you wouldn't. What I'm suggesting is <clears throat> the nutrients yes. that your body got from those food that foods food items that you ate for lunch. They are still in the body. They have not been used up. Uh, in the okay. meantime, uh-huh. other nutrients have been used up, and your subconscious mind knows. where you got those nutrients in the past they have a record of the subconscious mind has a record of that yes and it will project to the conscious mind oh the other foods look more appealing you will enjoy them more why they contain the nutrients your body needs at this time yes so okay. what i'm suggesting is the physiological mechanism your brain is functioning at a level at the nutrient level and gra- very subtly projecting the image as the of the other foods are more enjoyable mm-hmm. as more more enjoyable and that is how we you think you are in complete control what i am suggesting is no there's an underlying physiological reason why your preference changed mm. so what if you pay attention to that instead of that what we do is we have become conditioned i asked one time 10 adults to write down the exact time they felt hungry for 3 days in a row and the exact time they ate mm. okay okay 4 out of 10 never felt hungry for 3 days but did that stop them from eating No, no, no. no. So no. I asked them why, because they said it was time to eat. <laughs> so that is what we have come to. As an adult, we are conditioned. As I said, somebody offers you food, you have to eat. Otherwise, a person may feel unhappy. You have to please that person. It is not because whether you want it. so we find reasons there somebody has a birthday you have to eat it somebody mm-hmm. brings food to your office you have to share it yes you are celebrating something <clears throat> you have to eat what is the biggest part of any celebration whether it is family celebration or national celebration we eat mm-hmm. and drink right yeah yeah it's just cultural you know it's what yeah. it is mm-hmm. so that is what is contributing to the epidemic of obesity type 2 diabetes and cancer yes i can see that so 
the last two books I, I mentioned that I wrote four books yes the last two the first two are one is to prevent diabetes the second is how to reverse diabetes that's the one we are talking about yes the third book is how to survive cancer and the reason uh, can i explain something about that one sure absolutely about 9 years ago i was diagnosed with cancer mm. so i asked the doctor my oncologist why what happened he said oh you are of age that is not unexpected mm. and so i asked what could be the reason oh check the website of the american cancer society so i went there and i checked this they said improper diet and lack of exercise and i could not accept it i said my diet has not changed and i am exercising like i used to mm-hmm. so that that does not make sense okay now if you go to another country <laughs> like india or china or yes. uh middle east or south america and ask an oncologist a cancer specialist what causes cancer they will say exactly the same thing improper diet and lack of exercise mm. how can the diet be improper all around the world mm. how can people stop exercising all around the world <laughs> using good reasoning yeah right mm-hmm. so i researched that and the result of that is my third book surviving cancer now i was giving a talk on that book about 3 and a half years ago to a group of cancer specialists and cancer patients in a cancer <laughs> hospital yes so one cancer specialist stood up and asked the question he said the average age of an adult with cancer is 65 or 60 plus because it takes six decades of accumulated mutations mm. to produce a cancer cell said, okay that is what i agree with but he said the average age of a child with cancer is 6 mm. the child has not lived long enough to accumulate all these mutations that's true so why should a child have cancer oh. so that started my thinking process and the result is the new book that i published last month when your child has cancer mm. now what what would you like me to talk about Well, those are <clears throat> those are good points, uh, and I, you've been touching a, a lot on the uh, on what we were uh, the points here in those eight steps. Uh, so, if you change your diet, uh, doctor, of course you will lose weight slowly. You touch on that on step number seven, and uh, and I, I, I from what you're saying, it's because of the change in your metabolism. It um, is that is that correct? Uh, the change in what? I didn't get the last word. Metabolism. Yeah. it is not the metabolism that changes see there there is that's a misconception about metabolism and the metabolic rate there are two things you need to consider 
right. one is the met the efficiency of extraction of energy from food that is individual each person let me give you this example there are All two right. automobiles one gives you 25 miles to the gallon the other gives you 40 miles to the gallon okay which is more efficient yes well the one that gives you the most uh, most mileage well you will consider that yes as more efficient yes it gives you more now the total amount of gas required is not based on the efficiency it is based on how far you are traveling right right so similarly each individual is different in the rate of extraction of energy from the food what happens is one person can produce more energy but if he is extracting more energy he needs less food is that right correct right so depending on how much are you spending your intake has to match the expenditure correct but when you get conditioned that ratio goes out of the window mm. that is a problem then it depends on not your metabolic rate but the total amount of energy that you spend as you get older you cannot your muscles get weaker because you don't have the hormonal support and mm-hmm. you cannot produce the same amount of energy for example how many 40 or 50 year old athletes do you see out there how many not football many. players no not many not, not many very many why not they many. cannot compete with the 20 year old correct even in your own life you know it takes more longer to do the same job that you could do within with 30 minutes when you were younger correct but did, did does that mean you reduced your food intake accordingly no it doesn't no you once you get conditioned once you're hungry you put on the plate the same amount of food and once you put it on the plate as we may discussed you cannot you don't want to waste it correct you would rather put it on your waste <laughs> that's true yeah so this is what is happening how to adjust <clears throat> amount of the food intake to match your expenditure after age 35 there is a reduction in the energy expenditure and it becomes more pronounced after age 55 mm-hmm. then it should be gradually going down because you are spending less and less energy so if you keep putting the same amount of food into your body that accumulates and you start having obesity you start having mm-hmm. diabetes sure. you start having cancer sure. all of these are what i call lifestyle conditions that could be prevented mm. now let me give you something to think about medicare we we are spending uh, the cost of diabetes the care of diabetes and related complications 
right now in the united states is 1 billion dollars per day mm. okay and medicare is going to run out of money pretty soon and the easiest way to control that is to reduce the incidence of diabetes and the money spent to control or prevent or treat diabetes if mm. we can prevent type 2 diabetes that will save medicare more than anything else well that's uh, an interesting thought it's a great point because uh, that's uh, that is a problem today i read reports that uh, 90 95% you know uh, uh, have type 2 diabetes you know right. and it's uh, it's it's a terrible thing because it does cause uh, some really physical Uh, like you indicated you know bad issues there so number 8 uh, step number 8 so the solution is to select only fresh unprocessed foods and eat a, ver- a varied diet is the solution is what you're saying then yeah you you you're constantly each person has to take charge of his or her own body yes when you sit down to eat even you don't know what nutrients your body is looking for or what are deficient in your body so how can anybody else give you a diet yeah they have no clue yes so they base it on your weight your activity that's oh, all yeah. correct oh yeah yeah your height and so forth but it's really a personal chemistry then exactly yeah each person's biology or physiology or chemistry whatever you want to call it is different and within each person each day is different you can calculate based on an average but do you eat but do you you know breathing you on a, in a minute you can breathe in 6 six, six liters of air mm-hmm. that's the average adult can you say you should breathe exactly the same every minute of the day no that's it's impossible impossible depending on where you are what you are doing yeah your brain knows it will adjust <laughs> your breathing rate your heart rate exactly. accordingly you exercise and everything is it, it varies uh, exactly yeah. yeah so that is what you have to go, do about nutrient intake oh wow that's a you good have point. you have to take charge yeah and in order to take charge if a, if a toddler can do it why can't you That's a good point, doctor. Very good point. You got me squirming here in my chair, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! You know, before we sign off, uh, you do have a newsletter, I believe, on uh, on your site website, correct? That, yes, you, on the website we put yeah. postings, and uh, in the on the in the website there is an animation video to explain uh-huh. uh, how type two diabetes happens in a lean person, in an obese person. in a pregnant woman who with no family history or previous history of diabetes the mm-hmm. mechanism i suggested that you fill up your fat storage capacity you can become a diabetic that applies to whether you are lean or obese or pregnant or what it doesn't mm-hmm. matter so that animation video will explain it very clearly that'd be great very good and of course your website i have it here as www.dr johnonhealth.com is that correct exactly drjohnonhealth.com very good, good well, 
Well, I appreciate these uh, great points you've shared with us. You're very generous. And I admire your illustrious background in, in, in medicine. And, uh, and I wish you well. And, and again, thank you, doctor, for being with us. And I thank you for having me. And I thank our listeners. All I'm asking everybody is to ask your doctor to explain to you the medications you are taking to control your diabetes. Where does that sugar go? Yes. Well said. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, listeners, if you have a specific topic you want to discuss that is germane to the real estate industry, drop me a note at yourlotandparcel.com. And now, if you will excuse me, This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.